0: Welcome to the Ultimate Bowls Podcast, brought to you by APIA, Australia's go-to insurance for retirees. APIA, get set, go. Autica, enjoy better hearing with Autica. If you're over 26, book your free hearing check today at autica.com.au. And Specsavers, should have gone to Specsavers. Keeping on top of your eye health is our turf. Now here is your host, Director of the UBC Rebecca Jelly.
1: Welcome back to the Ultimate Bowls Podcast. My name is Rebecca Jelly, and today I am joined by fellow UBC director and legendary commentator Chris Green. In today's episode, we will be reviewing the first Ultimate Bowls week of 2022, held just last month, and of course hosted by the wonderful Dandenong Club in Victoria. Now, a quick recap for our listeners before we delve into those results. The ultimate week consisted of three individual events played back-to-back in a format that required some restructuring that occurred, of course, as a result of COVID-19 cancellations and postponements. But boy, was it great to be back on the green after more than two years since the Borough Boys took out that final event of 2019 at the Moama Bowling Club. So 22 teams faced off for their share of nearly $500,000. Remember our format, it's fun, it's fast, it's fresh. Just a little recap for you before we get into those results. First shot, 10 points. Second shot, five points. Third shot, three points. Lead shot gets you another three points. Remember, that's whoever's holding the shot after those first six bowls have been played. And of course, any other toucher, of any sort whether your bowl ends up in the ditch or right on the kitty is three points and it's that five ends pairs match with a shot clock in play now unfortunately four of our teams out of asia couldn't join us and one from new zealand due to border restrictions but the international flair certainly wasn't lost with the addition of two new franchises out of the usa Southern California tsunami and the Golden State. First of all, before I get ahead of myself, welcome Chris. Thank you for your time today. Awesome to have you here. Certainly looking forward to your insights. You of course saw more bowls than anyone else being right up front row center with the action. So first up, give us a recap of these two USA teams. Tell us a bit about them.
0: Yeah, great to be joining you Beck. Um, Look, it was, I was in the best seat of the house and uh, the bowls uh, for that week was just phenomenal. Uh, just got better and better. Uh, speaking of um, SoCal, the old Southern California tsunami, and Golden State, the two sides from the US, there was plenty of flair amongst those uh, six players. The Southern California tsunami, the lineup was Lauren Dion, uh, Aaron Zangle, and Benny Hubber, who was a late replacement for Billy Brought, who was uh, their third player. Uh, Benny Hubber, a local player from Victoria, he was from Bundora. Uh, he just added to the enthusiastic and fun style, uh, which we came to love uh, with the tsunami. And the Golden State, we had Dan Lemez, Michael McNaughton and Tim Christie. So Dan and Michael, they're um, from uh, San Jose in uh, US and then Tim Christie from Coromel. Uh, Dan Lamez, he was, the, he was pretty much the skip all the way through uh, and Michael McNaughton and Tim Christie uh, led up for, for Dan. Look, one of the things we were looking forward to was the two teams playing each other and where the bragging rights would, uh, would go. Uh, but unfortunately, that match finished in a draw. So... it was quite the the hard result to take for uh, the six players because they all wanted a little bit of bragging rights.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's delve into those results, Chris. Of course, there were two sections of 11 teams. So each team needed to play 10 sectional games with the top two progressing straight through to the quarterfinals and the next four in each section playing off in our preliminary finals for these remaining spots in the quarterfinals. So event one, how did sectional play pan out? Of course, the star-studded side of Exodus and the Deer Park Chargers topped Section A, Wellington Hornets and the North Queensland Roos topped Section B. Now, I've run us through these teams here because right off the bat, on paper, I can't believe anyone saw that the North Queensland Aussie Cool Roos were going to secure direct and convincing entry into the quarterfinals.
0: Yeah, look, you, you speak of Exodus, Deer Park and Wellington Hornets uh, star-studded And you would expect them uh, through, whether it's straight through or or at least making their way through the prelims. But the Aussie Cool Roos, right from the draft night when Damien McGee, team owner, picked himself as the the, the number one draft pick for that side, there was always something about these Aussie Cool Roos you had to look out for. Uh, They had Johnny Newell, who was a former ITP Queensland player, and Stephen Tong was picked up in the draft. However, he was replaced last minute by Mark Armstrong. Um, so he was a local up in Queensland area, played with those two other players. And, and the combination, they just got it right. Um, Damien McGee, he was there early uh, in the week, so prior to the ultimate week, and he put a lot of effort in on the greens. Uh, and it, it came to show uh, when the big bowls needed to be played, Big Damo was there and he was playing them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any team we can say that has more passion for the UBC than this. I mean, Damien, he is just a fantastic supporter um, loves everything about the UBC and we actually love having him involved for sure. All right, Chris, let's delve into those quarterfinals. Um, again, we just stay on this North Queensland, Aussie cool, Roo sort of journey we're on because they, of course, took out the massive warrilla in the quarterfinals. I mean, this was a game that was amazing to watch. And of course, it's in some of our episodes. You could also catch it on the live stream again on Facebook. But tell us more about this 66 to 60 win there.
0: Yeah, look, it was an incredible match, uh, Damien McGee, as I said, playing the big bowls, um, but against Wedlock and Tees, they were off the back of a preliminary match against Moama, 83-19 win over Moama, who were one of the highly fancy sides coming into the ultimate week, and they didn't even play the fifth and final end, so that's how much of a demolition job it was, so on the back of that, everyone was watching Warrilla but big Damo McGee and you had Johnny Newell leading up and he was setting quite a the platform there but big, big Damo he was just playing the bowls and, and Tees and Wedlock just just couldn't find the answers like they did in their preliminary match.
1: So what happened then obviously North Queensland Ruse then uh, made it through to the semi-finals it wasn't quite to be what were your sort of thoughts on on that semi-final one there?
0: Yeah so you had Geelong. Uh, Geelong were one of those sides which sort of they did and they didn't go under the radar. There was a lot of um, people who, who know the UBC and they were they were watching out for Geelong. Um, but in saying that, they, they were a side which was sort of untested, untried. They they were uh, they have been together a while. The three boys uh, they've had a group chat ever since the um, the draft previous to the the one for the ultimate week where we had the cancellation and postponement. So. They were fortunate enough with, with Ray Pierce and Nathan Bush uh, being their pre-selected players that they were able to grab Harley McDonald again. And um, they showed a lot of faith there. Nathan Bush, he, he just really shoved uh, Pierce and, and McDonald out in the rink as much as possible. And the results um, shone through for them. So they, they got on top of the North Queensland Roos, maybe just running out a little bit of fuel there. Um, but the other side uh, of the post-sectional play, uh, Beck, you had a Dandenong club. So they only just scraped into the uh, second last qualifying spot. Uh, then they took on Weeper Crocs, uh, Deer Park, which was a, a demolition job, uh, 79-17. And everyone then started thinking, whoa, okay. So we had Warilla at the start after their first prelim, uh, which they looked like the side to beat. And then it started looking Dandenong's way. They had all the support there from their home crowd and because they were building the momentum. But it wasn't to be. It was Geelong who just kept pushing their way through. Uh, And Dandenong met Geelong in the final there, but it was the Geelong Clippers.
1: Dandenong's got quite the reputation in our format. We head back to 2019. They managed to secure a first place, a second place, a third place, and, of course, collect the ultimate team. And to come into 2022 with an unchanged lineup on their home turf, obviously, we were all expecting big things from Dandenong, and Event 1 didn't disappoint. Making the final is is a massive effort.
0: Yeah, exactly right. They're they're a star-studded outfit. They know how to play uh, the UBC format. Uh, Look, you've got Wayne Turley, Barry Lester, and Gary Kelly. You quite often only see... Gary Kelly and Barry Lester when we have our live stream matches, but but don't be surprised by anyone out there that, that Wayne Turley, his records and his stats, uh, they're, they're up there with some of the best. Uh, so he's putting in the game's efforts there, but he also works in a little bit sort of a coaching role. Uh, we've seen him in other, other formats and other events um, as head coach. And, and I think it's a really good three. They were sort of, um, oh, it, was a, it was a surprise in sectional play that they only did scrape into uh, the second-last qualifying spot, but they just showed once again in the post-sectional play uh, they're a team that uh, you've got to watch out for.
1: Now, talking about stats that you mentioned it, um, and I can't ever pass up an opportunity to delve into some stats, of course. So if we just have a look at those two finalists, those two teams there, so, of course, standing on club and the John Clippers, What's really interesting is when we look at those teams' performance over the entire event, they were actually equal in terms of the percentage of time that these teams held first shot, which is seriously impressive because there are a lot of games played, a lot of ends played, but both teams finished up with a 51.4% Um, stat for first shot, which is really awesome. And again, comparing these two teams, the only really thing that separates them apart, moving on, is that the Geelong Clippers had a slightly more impressive toucher rate. So 15% of every single bowl delivered over the tournament by this team was a toucher, which is a massive result. And that's compared to the 10.5% for the Dandenong Club. All right, Chris, let's have a look at those um, actual combinations. So we had Ray Pierce. Um, with Harley McDonald, Gary Kelly, Barry Lester, obviously. Um, And we look at their overall games played in these particular positions and arrangement of positions, so lead and skip staying the same, seven matches to eight matches, and a win rate of 86% for the Geelong Clippers and a win rate of 75% for that deadly combination of Gary Kelly and Barry Lester. So there's not too much separating these two teams um, in terms of their overall performance.
0: No, not at all. But going on those stats, uh, Beck, and not about those two teams, but a couple of the other teams, I know Weeper, um, Crocs, they used those stats to um, formulate who was going to be playing in some of the um, pointy end matches for them, some of their last games in their section, and also some of the the finals matches. Um, And I think some of the teams, once they got, got that data there, they were using it to then decide who was playing when and where. Um, so, look, it was invaluable for the teams there um, to use that sort of data. And it went a long way. The teams who were using the data, they were the ones progressing because they had that little bit of an edge on the other teams who sort of left it in the backside.
1: Selections can... Well, they're always a difficult thing um, to have to do, especially when you've got three amazing players um, in our teams anyway, so it's a great way to be able to choose your players in a non subjective way and just really put out the best performing players, um, whatever the, the stats say that is. Um, having a look again a little bit further on these stats I mean we can talk about these forever I'm sure but things that are interesting anyway um, lead effectiveness so for those that don't know this stat is computed by looking at the number of times the lead held shot essentially compared to when they didn't so we're looking at how effective they were at collecting that those lead shot points against their opponent Um, interesting in first place we had Ryan Taton from the Wellington Hornets. And we said before he was um, a late replacement for the Wellington Hornets. He plays out of the Deer Park Club. Fifth position was Nathan Bush from the Geelong Clippers with a 63.33% for this particular stat. And that is really impressive. So I guess my question for you, Chris, is we've got one of the best leads. Why isn't he playing in that um, top two combination?
0: Oh, well, you, you can even go above that though, Beck. You, you slipped past Wayne Turley there. He's, uh, he was equal on top. So you've, you've got your on Club and your Geelong Clippers and um, their most successful leads going on the stats, um, purely positional-based. Uh, they're not in the sides. So it is quite interesting to see. But in saying that, so with the play being played across different rinks and whatnot... Uh, quite often, the TV rink might play a little bit different to the other rinks. So teams quite often have a pairing who will play on the TV rink just purely based on that that confidence they've got there, and just maybe the, just some of the little intricacies of the um, of the rink.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, there's so many different stats to go by. This um, leaderboard, I guess, for your top leads isn't a standalone thing. There are so many other ways to be scoring points. So it's just one of the many things we offer um, our teams to have a look at how they're progressing. Um, I guess we talked about leads. So let's just quickly touch on skips for event one. Our top skip was Aaron Sheriff from Exodus. He played 11 games at skip and had a 51.85% conversion rate. Second place went to Lee Schreiner from the Whittlesea Eagles, 10 games at skip with a conversion rate of 51.72%. And again, this, this stat um, is computed by looking at the percentage of time the skip is down at the crossover, so didn't collect those lead shot points, but managed to collect first shot. So a conversion occurred, um, and that is where those particular stats arise from
0: pretty cool with the stats isn't it like it's purely all just gets generated um through the tablets uh, that the markers have so along with the scores that are getting uh inputted uh that go directly through to the screens um we've got obviously we've got those um updates uh that are generated for all the teams to see and that's based on um the tablets and just the input after every single bowl
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes us a bit different is that we're capturing the data from every single bowl that's being delivered. So we can track everything you wanna know about any place. So if you've got some bright ideas for stats we've overlooked, you know, definitely let us know. All right, let's move on to event two. So this was obviously day three and four of our ultimate week. Once again, we saw Exodus top their section, they're flexing their muscles, but the surprise here was certainly the UBC challenges. Who joined them in receiving direct entry into the quarterfinal? So for those that don't know about the UBC Challenger event, this was an open qualifying event held at the Dandenong Club, and the winning team received direct entry into our main event. Um, I guess COVID sort of ruined our plans in that um, the initial goal was to hold three of these qualifying events so that we had three teams comprising the Challenger side. Um, but with the other two not being able to go ahead, this particular side was promoted to competing in all three, and it was clear all they needed was that warm-up first event. To see them get direct entry is just fantastic. Um, Chris, tell us a bit about this team.
0: Yeah, look, they were real good. Uh, I love watching them. Um, look, Brendan McCullum, um, Matty curter and Adrian Marchioli, who was a, a late replacement for uh, Matthew Cattell, who was? Um, he was in the team when they did qualify. So the, obviously, as you said, the qualifying event, which was at Dandenong, the team knew what the UBC was about um, through the qualifying event. But look, event one, once you get to the real deal, uh, event one was, as you said, a bit of a warm up for them. But event two, uh, they just come out firing. I think Brendan McCullum, he's got uh, a lot of different pairs of shoes at home. I don't know how many of them match because he had black on one side, white on the other. He had black and white socks. Uh, he had different caps uh, but look his flair and uh, just what he was providing at the lead spot and Matty Curter his confidence in his skip conversion uh, look it was second to none really the boys um, the boys performed outstandingly it, look it was a shame to see um, them just get defeated um, when they did get through so far but I think the experience for them and, and just the joy they got out of it I know they're going to be back in the UBC at Stum stage and look I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some of the guys actually get picked up in the next draft.
1: Absolutely. And that's what this is all about. That was really a chance for them to showcase their skills and, and they shorted that. I mean, not only did they make the quarterfinals, but they, they took down the Darwin Cyclones um, to then make a semifinal, which was just fantastic to see.
0: Yeah, and look, they come up against Geelong. So if you're going to get beat by anyone uh, in the ultimate week, I mean, if it was either Warilla or Geelong, well, I mean, you could just say, look, they're were, they were the better side because that's what they were. they were. They were the top two at the end for uh, the Ultimate Team, that's for sure.
1: Talk us through um, some of the interesting, well, other interesting results you saw in Event 2 in terms of our post-section play.
0: We all had that wondering about how Warilla would back it up um, after Event 1, but they came out in their quarterfinal. It was 99-51 against the NCE Raptors. And the NCE Raptors, they were another side who, they built that confidence from Event 1 into Event 2 Look, a really young sort of side, but a real good fun side. They had Dino O'Neill, Joshua Corliss, and Liam Turner, uh, all all club mates uh, and all young stars for Victoria. Then Warilla played the Colts, and uh, we've seen the Colts, and we know what they can do. Uh, Nathan Wilson, like he's just a he's just an action sort of player. Um, so they defeated them in the semi final. Then at the final, it was against the Geelong Clippers, and 80 to 52 just shows how good that Warilla Guerrilla side was going.
1: You mentioned the Colts there, and I, I can't help but think that um, the UBC format is built for Nathan Wilson. He often puts on a
0: show and and really brings out his best bowls. Yeah, and his two teammates, Dane McKinnon and Jordan Yates, they were were outstanding uh, from the lead position. I think at one stage, um, Jordan started a match off with uh, four touches. So that just gets the points on the board. And, And we know with Nathan, he almost needs it to be a shot where he's got a centimetre or two as opposed to a foot because he really gets pumped up and those big bowls. Uh, look, he provides action reels.
1: So just looking at those two finalists, just going to scroll through some of these stats here. What's interesting is top of the leaderboard in terms of percentage of time teams were holding first shot this is across the entire event it's not surprising here that our two finalists actually came up on top here so first place the Geelong Clippers with 64.6 percent and the Worilla Gorillas with 63.1 percent which is a phenomenal result I'd have to say there
0: yeah look it just showed what they're all about and it's just so good to have a look at these stats and it really surprised me the some of the teams it was only a minority but there were some teams who weren't taking too much um into the stats after event one but they really picked it up event two and event three because they heard all the other players talking about the stats and how they were using them and and they were thinking oh geez we missed the boat here like these teams are getting in front of us they're getting that little bit of an edge um so look the stats really are pretty impressive beck
1: so let's take a look at um our top leads let's give Credit where credit is due. So first up we have Ryan Bester from Moama, played four games at lead and ended up with an 80% effectiveness, which is which is really impressive. Second place, Maddie Bous, Exodus, six games at lead, 76% effectiveness. And third place, Corey Wedlock, gorilla Gorillas, seven games at lead, 71.43% effectiveness. All right, now let's take a look at our skips so in first place we have Alex Marshall from Moama he played nine games at skip with a 70.83% conversion rate. Um, And down in second place we have Wayne Rudinger from the Broadbeach Lions with six games at skip and 55% conversion rate, so you can just see how I guess much of a head and shoulders Alex really was compared to the rest of the pack in terms of skip conversion for event two. Uh, We'll take a look at average touches just to see who I guess gave the most bang for their buck. We do have an overall touch account which takes into account every single game played in the sectional rounds but this particular stat here looks at all matches and gives us an average toucher um, result per match obviously because players are playing a different number of games and up top we have Sean Ingham played five games with an average touch account of three point two. Second place Ben Winther from the Whittlesea Eagles five games again average touches three per game um, third place which is seriously impressive because Nathan Wilson here from the Flemkin Colts played 13 games racked up 37 touches which is a 2.85 average toucher result, which is just fantastic. All right, let's head into event three. Okay, so impressively for the third event in a row, this is the only team to have cracked it. Exodus secured the top sectional spot for their section. And of course got that direct entry into the quarterfinals. Having a look here, we again saw the North Queensland Roos make their appearance. Um, and also the UBC wildcard, which is fantastic to see. So Chris, take us through um, some of these results.
0: Yeah, you touched on the UBC wildcard. There. I think it's probably the best overall wildcard uh, side we've ever seen uh, in the UBC. Uh, Eric Johannes, a former South African uh, legend, uh, he was uh, picked up, um, well, he was drawn out um, in the draft as, as a lucky captain. And he picked um, Blake Nant and Clive Adams, two WA uh, representatives and definitely stars of the West. Uh, Blake Nairn actually just claiming an Australian title um, in between um, the UBC and the dra- the um, podcast we've got now, but definitely the overall best side, but they ran into the Broadbeach Lions in the preliminary game and the preliminary final. <clears throat> it was the first finals match for the Broadbeach Lions, a team of Wayne Rudiger, Ryan Burnett and Scotty Thalborn. We didn't think it was going to take till event three for them to make the post-sectionals. So they run into the Broad Beach Lions. Unfortunately, it was 28-74 to the Lions. Uh, a couple of the other matches, um, one of the standouts in the quarterfinals was Damian McGee once again. Uh, he 69 for North Queensland Roos up against the point sixty. Uh, he delivered probably one of the bowls of the week uh, in the final end of that. Uh, he drew within a couple of centimetres uh, to get the shot and um, secure uh, that quarterfinals win for them. But Warilla. We just saw what they provide in event two. After event one, where they were taken out by North Queensland, that was the only real surprise. They, they then delivered the goods once again in event three. And Exodus, it was great to see them not only top their section, all three, but they finally got the monkey off their back in event three, where they had a win in the quarterfinals. Then in the semifinals, they beat the hometown Nong, which was probably one of uh, the best matches of the entire week, if not the best match. And then in the final, uh, Exodus 68, but it was Worilla Gorillas, 82.
1: So that final matchup was important for more than one reason, because, of course, we've got an ultimate team award, which is awarded to the most consistent team of the entire week. And you would have found that if Worilla had won, they were going to secure this title. But if Exodus had won, it would be equal in terms of points in the way in which this is calculated. Conditions of play say it would go back to a countback of number of games won. And of course, we've mentioned this a number of times, Chris, but the stellar performance of Exodus in the sectional play would have seen them snatch this crown. So well done to the Gorillas for taking out event three and also ultimate team having a look at a couple of these stats I mean we'll give a shout out to some of our best performed players Um, I think here you'll probably want to talk to this one Chris but if we have a look at our average touches again so the most bang for our buck we actually had Kyle Hansen from the point up there and in second place David Axon from the point so I'm not sure what you're doing at your club there Chris do you do a special touches training every Friday what's going
0: on there Oh, well, I've set them a, a goal. I said, if you can get to 3.2 as an average, I'll give you a bonus. But, look, they fell a little bit short. there. 3.17 for Kyle and uh, three for uh, Axie average touches uh, per game. They played six and seven. So, it was really, look, it was really good to see. Uh, the, the boys, look, they did probably didn't meet their expectations we had leading into the event. Um, but, look, they gained some momentum, and, and it's going to be great for them uh, heading to Moama uh, with that confidence.
1: Absolutely. Let's take a look at those, um, I guess, our super leads for the event. Um, up the top there, we had Jeremy Henry from the Worilla Gorillas. So to be topping that leaderboard and not making selection, I guess, into the the side there that played the finals, um, he had a 76% Effectiveness stat out of five games. Second, Scotty Thorburn from the Broadbeach Lions, 70% with four games. And third, Sean Ingham, Exodus, five games at lead, 68% effectiveness. Heading on down to our skips, again we see the legend Aaron Sheriff from Exodus, 13 games at skip with a 60% conversion rate. Um, second place, we saw the wild card side. So Eric Johannes, seven games at skip and 33% conversion rate. Dean O'Neill, NCE Raptors, 12 games with a 50% equal to Benny Twist from Streaky Bay Sharks. So Chris, that wraps up um, our overview of event three. So we can head into our Golden Tatra Award and we can see that for Event one, so again, this is just going on sectional play games, because obviously those that don't make it through to post-section don't have the opportunity to score as many touches. So we've kept this to sectional play only. Event one, first place, Scotty Thorburn with an impressive 24 touches from just eight games. Second place, Aaron Wilson from Deer Park, 10 games played, 23 touches scored. And third place, really cool to see this, UBC Wildcard's Graham Spencer. Seven games played, but impressive. 22 touches racked up. All right, event two. We saw a change in this awardee. This time we went to Nathan Wilson from the Ken Colts with 27 touches. Second place, Alex Marshall, 24 touches. Well, actually second equal with Lee Schreiner, also with 24 touches. Third event, getting kind of boring here. Scotty Thorburn taking it again. Broadbeach Bulls, an impressive 27 touches. This is obviously his go-to thing, racking up those touches. Second place, again, impressively, Lee Schreiner, Whittlesea Eagles, 24 touches. Third place, the big man himself, Damian McGee, North Queensland, Aussie Cool Roos. 10 games played, 23 touches. All right, Chrissy, talk us through the MVP. How did we get to this, and who took out this award?
0: Yes, so look, I think that was a, a really uh, exciting uh, new addition uh, following the event. Uh, you see it in a lot of other sports, they like have an MVP vote. Uh, so we threw through ours out to um, our Facebook um, supporters, and we had a number of players. I think there was about six players, and with the stats that we've been discussing here today, uh, we had those generated, um, and it just showed. Uh, people, win rates, conversions, uh, touches, uh, average touches, uh, and gave them a bit of an idea about the performances of these six stars. Uh, but it was Damien McGee, he ran away with it. So, look, it, it definitely a crowd favourite, and, and I think that shone through with the Facebook vote the way it was. Uh, but if you look at a stats perspective, like purely stats, look, I think Corey Wedlock, he was the standout for the week.
1: Massive bowls from both of them all week. So congratulations to Damien, who was crowned our MVP for Ultimate Week 1 of 2022. Looking forward to seeing what happens in the draft, because after that performance, surely, you know, his own team is going to struggle to pick him up unless he's pre-selected.
0: Yeah, you might have to roll the dice there. Whether If he doesn't pre-select himself, he might just be hoping that he, he does get pulled out because, as you know, it's, it's one of those risks that teams play if they don't pre-select a player or, or a couple. They do run the risk of um, some of the um, stars getting picked up. And Damien's definitely on the radar now for a number of teams.
1: Rightly so. All right, our next events: uh, Moama Bowling Club, December 11th to 16th. We have some new franchises joining us, which is really exciting. And of course, we're hoping for the return of our Bowls Asia contingent, which is four sides. Um, One of the new sides joining us um, is actually the New Zealand qualifiers, which I've got um, very involved with. Um, So I'm looking forward to seeing them travel. They're part owned by the Newland Bowling Club in Auckland. And these events have been running for two years now. And we're really stoked to see some of New Zealand's top talent set to travel. For example, we've got Sheldon Baggery Howley. Um, He's the most recently New Zealand capped men's player. We've got Paris Baker. Who is a Tongan representative? She was actually the world under twenty five singles champion just a few years ago before COVID. And we've got Aidan Zitogen, Cook Islands Commonwealth Games bronze medal back in twenty eighteen
0: on the Gold Coast. I remember um, that. I remember that fondly. Back, I was, uh, I was there, and uh, that was, uh, that was very well celebrated. I'm sure it was. Um, So, yeah,
1: we're stoked to have some amazing players um, travel. In fact, there's going to be 18 Kiwis traveling. So this is a a huge party coming along to the Moama Bowling Club, and, and I hope they're ready for it. So the next event in New Zealand is in Auckland again, and it's at the end of August. Again, we've got full bells and whistles, so we've got the software, the scoring, the live streaming. We don't have the amazing commentary, that's why we need Chris there. So hopefully he's gonna take the week off and join us. Um, But definitely if you're keen to come on over to New Zealand to have a go, it
0: is a lot of fun. So do get in touch if you wanna put a team in. You were talking about the new sides joining us. And that's the thing that's really excites me uh, about the next event. We've got the the number of people coming from New Zealand, but we've got a couple of new sides who have already signed up uh, since the last event. So they'll be announced shortly, I'm guessing. Um, but look, I'm glad to have the inside information because it's plenty of excitement coming our way. All
1: right. Thank you, Chris, for joining us. Um, I'm sure you'll be back with our upcoming podcasts as we lead into December. Of course, a massive thanks to all of our sponsors, Ryman Healthcare, Sports Centre, Henslight, Apia, Autica, Specsavers. With you, this isn't possible. Massive thanks, and we will see you all shortly.